we've held a lot of pranks. We did a lot of different pranks, um, particularly my junior. We got in trouble a lot. Um, we staged yeah. a fight in front of our dorm sitters one night. So we had to apologize <laughs> for that. Um, one time our entire dorm, like uh, we snuck out at night and uh, we lived on campus and we climbed the, the roof of the library. And then we like hung out there and then fell asleep and got caught by the security guard. This is Cumin. This is Caleb. Welcome to Life Unwasted, a podcast where we look into our past to discover our present. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, Cumin, this is our first episode of season three, which is pretty crazy. Yes, we are kicking season three off. Thank you for waiting, everyone. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, So today, we're, we're, we're kicking off the season with another Faith Academy alumni, but kind of every other episode this season is going to have someone uh, from another part of the world um, or uh, that has a a connection to the show, uh, but maybe a little bit different of a story. So we're going to kind of broaden our our stories, but we kind of picked folks that had things that we felt that kind of fit with some of the themes of the show. And so mm-hmm. I'm really excited. I think more than anything, I'm just excited to do these interviews. It's going to be super, super fun. Yeah, we're going to uh, meet some super cool people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, today, though, we have an alumni from Faith Academy who we've never met, but it turns out like right before the show, um, we actually uh, have a connection through our young collective younger sisters, Cumin uh, and I. Um, mm-hmm. So... Today we have Sophia, and I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of give us the background of maybe when you were overseas in the Philippines, and then um, just like why you were there and, and that sort of stuff. Oh, and you know what? At the top of the show, I should have said, this is a show about missionary kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Kevin and I were missionary kids. We grew up overseas, and now at this time in our life, we are interviewing folks, uh, asking them. Uh, to retell some old memories and and really trying to pull them into the future and talk about what they mean now, how they've shaped us and you really how we're moving on in life um, and, and, and kind of processing these things. So uh, that was a long intro, Sophia. I'm going to kick it over to you. Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, so yeah, my name is Sophia and I'm from the graduating class of 2005. Um, I guess for context, I am a second generation Korean American. I was born and raised uh, in Maryland in the East Coast. And then uh, my parents got the call to go overseas for missions to the Philippines. I think I was around nine years old. And that was like the old school missionary time where you like sold everything, sold your car. You were like, I'm going to die in the mission field. So they packed us all up. And my brother and I, we moved to uh, the Philippines in 1996. I think I was nine going on 10. Um, and then we stayed one year in Manila for language training. And I did attend Faith Academy for about a year for the fourth grade term for that one year. And then we moved over to the Visayas area in Samar. And mm-hmm. I did fifth, sixth, and seventh grade homeschooled, did eighth grade um, back in the States for furlough, and then ended up back at Faith Academy from freshman to senior year. And I lived in the dorms. And then after high school, I came back to Maryland and went to college there. So that's a little bit of a where I've been in a nutshell. So you were a 
dorm kid, which is yes. like a very different experience. It is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You may be our first female guest who's lived in dorm. Am oh, really? Oh, you're right. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So very interested to hear what the experience was like yeah. for you, because I know it was very, very different. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about uh, the Visayan Islands and, and some are, mm-hmm. which is a tropical paradise. Um, yeah. But is it a different island, different language? You know, the Philippines yeah. is a really large country. It kind of goes, if it was on our West Coast, it would go from like San Francisco all the way up to uh, the Canadian border. That's how mm-hmm. l- large the Philippines is. Yeah. So yeah. it's on the Eastern part of the Philippines and we were on a big island called Samar. Um, and yeah, they're they're the ones that always got hit when the typhoons came around the first. And so mm-hmm. they're pretty poor, one of the more poor areas. And so they were called the Wadai Wadai people. Wadai in, in Wadai language literally means nothing. So they call mm. themselves nothing, nothing people because it was always um, those typhoons would always hit there the first and the devastation was always the first there. Um, so yeah, they spoke what I, the people were called what I, what I, um, it was pretty out kind of in the middle of nowhere. We lived in a small port city, but there was nothing there when I was growing up. Um, I think the closest city to get to like Cebu Island was an eight to nine hour, um, overnight ferry ride to get to like a mall. So that would be really exciting for us <laughs> as kids to get to do that. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, for the most part, it was like a little, little town. Yeah. So you're a you nine. Speak- I mean, yeah. Do you speak Visayan? No, I don't speak designer what I, yeah. <laughs> the way you described how you packed everything up. Yeah. Um, kind of the image I had in my head was like Oregon Trail, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and this is That's a, a remote, yeah. remote part of the Philippines. And, mm-hmm. and, and like, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I think when I first came to the Philippines, I was around nine to 10. So I'm like an older MK. I kind of say it like that because I remember my peers when I came to Manila uh, at the age of fourth grade, most of my peers were like born there or they were like, you know, came when they were super young. So they had no memories of like their passport country, I guess you would say. And so I came in already having like foundations and like memories and roots um, in the States. And so coming from there to the Philippines, I remember was such a culture shock and then just to Manila in general. And then coming from Manila to Samar, I mean, we still had a little city, but again, there wasn't much there. And so just like remembering like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to um, keep myself entertained? (laughs) There's like nothing to do there. And I was also at that puberty age where I wasn't really into playing with the local kids. I just wanted to stay by myself. so yeah, it was a, a bit of a rough, rougher transition. And I think I did a lot of um, being by myself during that time. Definitely. I, I remember that a lot. Oh, what about your brother? Is he younger? Oh yeah, he's older? like five years younger than me. So at that oh, time, he okay. wasn't like like the ideal playmate, I would say. Um, but yeah, because <laughs> he was just younger and like it was a big age gap between us. But yeah, he did come with, with us too. Wow. So thinking about that, like that's mm-hmm. like you led off with that. Like that is a mm-hmm. huge shock. Thinking about that now, mm-hmm. um, and and you live in America now. Is that yeah. that's correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, what pull that into the present? What do you what do you mm-hmm. think about that? Selling everything, leaving everything, and yeah. here you are on literally the other side of the world. Yeah. You know, I think like as a kid, when you're going through that, you just kind of like trust in your parents and you kind of go through the process. 
later now in hindsight, I'm thinking about like, that was kind of very radical. Like we had a very secure, um, very comfortable life in the States. And then, um, you know, to have myself and my brother really move from one culture to a different was so, um, so just, you know, yeah, it was very, very, in the, in the moment as a kid, like you don't really think about it, but in hindsight now I realize it was really hard for me um, and hard for my brother too. And thinking about just like the, um, I think that, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. Yeah. Can you repeat the question? Thinking just about take that yourself now. back to when you were mm. nine and you're leaving the States. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember when people, the church was sending us off, um, there was this big crowd of people that were like kind of sending us off at the airport. And I just remember thinking, this is kind of cool. Cause there was a lot of like um, attention and people mm-hmm. were giving us gifts and kind of like, like uh, saying these nice things to us. But I do remember um, not wanting to go. And I remember mm-hmm. there was um, a time a little bit like a week or two before we left where I kind of had a total meltdown about going to the Philippines um, and not quite, knowing how to process that as a kid um, and also realizing that I didn't have a choice in the matter. I had to go with my yeah. parents. There was no other option other than to go with them. And so um, I think that I was, I kind of talked about that with my therapist too, um, of this mm-hmm. idea of not having a choice in the matter. <laughs> like you just kind of have to go and do um, where your parents or where your family takes you. Um, and I didn't have a choice. So that's kind of how I've been processing and thinking about it in this past couple of years, especially as an adult, of what it looks like and what it means to have choice. Yeah. Um, and how I think other, especially the dorms, the dorm situation, I thought about how um, there are people who just go to high school with their families and it's not a big deal, but I had to make a choice about am I going to be homeschooled for high school or am I going to do a really hard thing and leave my parents? Um, and go to the dorms, that kind of concept of the choices that we had to make that were really hard. Yeah. You mentioned your parents calling and just, just mm-hmm. trusting that that's real. You know, I relate yeah. to that. I do. Yeah. Cause you know, my, my parents had just such conviction and mm-hmm. it, you have to have that. I mean, you have to be all sure, in totally. and you know, I'm sure when your parents touched ground and, and some are after all of this work and preparation and giving mm-hmm. everything up, you mm-hmm. know, that, that commitment was probably pretty strong. Yeah, totally. And I would even think about my dad had come to the Philippines, like to kind of check things out um, before, like, you know, just to see how things were. And then my mom even just kind of had no idea what she was getting herself into. And just, we all just came without any real knowledge of the Philippines. And I remember coming off that plane and getting hit by that humidity of oh the, the weather yeah, and just not yeah. being able to breathe, like just being yeah. like, I can't even breathe. Because I remember when you come up the airport airplane, it's like air conditioned in the in the actual airport. <laughs> and once you step out of that that terminal, like I remember thinking, like, what what is this sensation of humidity yeah. and the wall of unbeing not being able to breathe? And then you have the jeepneys and the chaos and you know, just being so um like in awe and flustered by what was going on all around me. Um, it was mm. definitely, yeah, it was definitely a crazy new experience for a nine-year-old kid to to process and to hold, which I didn't get to really process until recently too. So, wow. Yeah. 
Sophia, do you remember having the talk with your parents about moving over to the Philippines? Um, vaguely, I, I remember it was a buildup because I think my dad went to seminary for the first couple of years before. And so there was like a, a buildup of like, this is what's going to happen. And, um, you know, slowly things are being sold in the house or being packed away. Um, but I do remember a few memories of when I like cried saying I didn't want to go or I like, why are we doing this kind of because I, I didn't understand because again, I was pretty, you know, I had good friends, I had a good school, I had, you know, very, like, established roots already at the age of nine to 10, and with solid memories um, that, you know, it wasn't like a, like a two-year-old leaving, it was, you know, I was nearly 10 years old when I left, so it was a bit, a bit harder and a bit more challenging, I think, yeah. And you mentioned just being alone a lot, I I can imagine, yeah, you're you're in just this alien environment. Mm-hmm. Not, not, I mean, <laughs> to, to understand like like anyone that goes to a new country is going to have yeah. this experience. So right. you know, uh, reverse card. So you were, uh, you know, Korean American. Yeah, yes. when o- overseas. So that's you know a p- part of your identity. Went to mm-hmm. the Philippines, and now you're caught in between. Well, this Western culture in yeah. in the U.S. school ish mm-hmm. faith academy. Mm-hmm. Um, us european whatever and then yeah. and then now you're on samar like it, at such a young age just yeah. j- hopping between all of these different cultures yeah totally yeah i think what i about, um mm-hmm. sorry uh, no, yeah. Uh, what about your parents uh mm-hmm. when did they come over to the states did they meet so, in the states yeah the, my parents um so they're considered like 1.5 generations so they came to the states when they were with their families at the age of like 16 ish years old so they went to high school and college and so they met in college um oh. so they're like bilingual so they're very they can speak korean and english and kind of raised my brother and i more in the western american kind of standard um i think more so than the korean type of parenting um so, so yeah, so then that's why we, um, we're considered second gen, but sometimes I feel more like a third generation Korean American because we don't yeah. speak Korean at home. We speak English and, um, they're pretty Americanized. Um, oh, but yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's so much transition, but I feel like you were going to, uh, say something uh, a second ago, mm. just about, um, landing in some art and, and mm-hmm. you, you're spending a lot of time by yourself, right? Just adjusting yes, to this a lot new place, of time by right? myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I was like hitting puberty, like around 11 ish, 12 years old when I, when we were there. And then, um, I was just like, not interested in hanging out with the local kids. My brother was a lot younger and he would play with the barangay kids and like, you know, get lost in there and they would like hang out with him. And I was just not interested in that. Um, and also at that age, you're just suddenly really like self-conscious. And you know how in the Philippine culture, they they do a lot of staring, <laughs> like no. a lot of staring. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's just, that's just, you know, it's not rude to stare. And already being a really self-conscious, you know, teenage girl and feeling everywhere I went, I was being stared at. And plus we were like the only foreigners, like in that entire area, um, uh, mm-hmm. feeling just I wanted to hide like I just didn't want to like be outside oh. where people were going to be staring at me or, or, or making remarks you know they would say like um kind of racial slurs or, or say things like what's your name in English all the time and I would just want to hide um so I, I spent a lot of time 
reading and um, like journaling. And I really, at that age, because of my alone time, like I started to create a very vast and um, large internal world. I think I started internalizing a lot of things at that age because um, I like kind of preparing for this time. I I went back into my old box, look up my diaries and journals, and I haven't from from that age, even earlier that age and onward, um, that I've kept. Um, and I realized like, wow, I, I really internalized a lot of things and kind of created this vast uh, internal world to kind of cope with what was going on and being alone a lot. So what what, what sticks out to you now mm-hmm. from that world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think what sticks out to me the most, and I've been kind of thinking about this more recently too, of the idea of that alone space and being there has been such a safe space for me. Um, but also it's very hard for me to open that space up to other people um, and how uh, it's hard to really share my story fully. Cause again, I'm, I'm, it, I'm worried about people's judgments or perceptions, or it takes too long to explain. Um, but the idea of how my, my ivory tower is my safe space, but also a place that kept, Cap, like keeps me captive because um, mm. I've realized how hard it is for me to really share that with other people. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because my mom and I talked about that recently and she, she, one of her, like, I think um, regrets. And she was like, I wish I inquired more. She, like she left me alone a lot and I, I'm, and um, didn't like really ask. Cause I think she just knew she just wanted me to, I wasn't making a fuss um, or saying anything or complaining, but she was kind of like, oh man, I really wished I inquired more or, or bothered you mm. more about what was going on internally. And, and I, I told her like, yeah, I wish you did too. But at the same time, I was also a teenager and probably would not want you to do that. It would be really like, probably give you a lot of resistance for that. But yeah, I, I think there was a lot of um, learning to cope on my own, but having a hard time letting others into that space as well, because it's so easy now to just be alone or to process alone on my own. Sophia, has anything significant happened recently? I noticed you are using that word often hmm. recently in recent years. You've been um, doing more social yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. What's I, happened? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I guess recent I like five years or so, but um yeah, I've been on a therapy journey. Um been processing a lot of different things. Um, so I actually landed out here in, in Orange County from Maryland. Um, so I'm a nurse practitioner by trade. I was got completely burnt out um, and actually landed at Talbot um, at part of Biola University and went through their spiritual formation and soul care track, um, which through that program, which is a lot of um, learning how to care for other people's souls, but also there's a lot of internal work that is expected of you. And I had no idea what, what I was getting into, but through that, there was like mandatory therapy and direction and cohort meetings. And um, I, I received a lot of healing through the, that time and continual therapy journey through that and processing a lot of what happened um, just in my childhood, my MK life and things I never thought I needed to process until like a few years ago. Um, and so being a lot more open to sitting in the discomfort of, oh yeah, that happened. Oh yeah, that wasn't very pleasant. Or, oh yeah, like that, whatever that thing was like, okay, let's let's uh, think about it and process that. So, so yeah, so I've been so, on a bit of a journey. <laughs> yeah, Th- thinking about where you're standing now on that mm-hmm. journey. A minute ago, you said 
your mom said, I, I wish I would have asked you more. What, mm-hmm. what, what, if you could talk to yourself back then, mm-hmm. the person that you are now, what would you say or what would you ask you? Mm. Mm. What I ask myself. I think at the age, like when I was in, the, in Samar, like at the age of like 11, 12, I think I would ask um, myself, how how safe do you feel right now? Because I realize a lot of my anxiety and insecurities was um, related to safety. So do you feel safe or how safe do you feel? Um, and do you feel um, safe in expressing or um, sharing your emotions with um, with other people? And I think when I read my some of my journals, there's a lot of emotions and angst in there that I didn't think I felt safe sharing with other people or even sharing with my parents, um, or even sharing with friends. Uh, so there was a lot of like, I would say maybe a little dramatic, but again, at that age, everything is very proportionately large and colorful and, um, you know, (laughs) uh, a bit more theatrical. And so, but again, that was where I was at that age. And so, you know, what does it mean to be known and be seen in those places of, of negative emotions or hard emotions or, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's what I would ask, ask Sophia that age. Would you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? Uh, I'm definitely an introvert, um, but I have learned to uh, to navigate the extroverted world. <laughs> yeah. So I can uh... definitely turn it on if I need to. And particularly as a, as a nurse, I have to be very, you know, out there with my patients and outgoing. And so I know that I can turn it on, but at the end of the day, I'm pretty much exhausted. So I need to to go back and, and recharge. Yeah, I, mm. I relate to that, Sophia. Um, mm. A lot of people are surprised to find out that I'm an introvert. Yeah, and that's because <laughs> I can adapt and I love people. You know, I love yeah. talking with people mm-hmm. totally. and I turn it on real hard. And mm-hmm. then when I get home, I need to like be away from people for like 12 hours. You know, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I just can't, can't yeah. do it. I'm like that too. Yeah. So what's the next phase? And, and like, I want, <laughs> I want to ask you so many questions about what mm-hmm. we've already talked about. Yeah. um, I want to make sure we kind of cover this, this whole journey here. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about my own first day at boarding school and I cannot Mm. remember it. I cannot, it's like such a blur. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I remember mine. (laughs) Tell us. Um, I think mine was like really traumatic because I, it, it came up a few times in therapy and my therapist was like, Ooh, like, Rough, but I think like so basically you know I'm a freshman coming in to get dropped off and I think we all kind of I mean for the dormies out or non-dormies you know it's like there's a day when your parents drop you off and you bring all your stuff you go pick your room you meet your dorm parents who are the um, mom and dad of the dorm who kind of help take care of you um mm-hmm. so freshman year um, I lived on campus on the on-campus dorm and you know I was so excited because I was homeschooled and then I like was so excited to be coming to Faith Academy. Um, but I remember as soon as my parents like came, we like dropped our stuff off at my room um, with the bunk bed that I chose. I just burst into tears. I was, mm. I, and it wasn't even like a little like 
tear. It was like full on like despair crying. And um, I would just remember like um, my parents were like, oh, shoot. Like <laughs> they were kind of at a loss for words. I was so excited. Um, and they were like, oh, like, what do we do? And I could not be consoled. And wow. so I remember like my my mom and my dad were like, you know, hey, like you don't have to stay. Like we can go back home. We can homeschool. Like, no, like it doesn't like whatever you want to do. Like we don't have to like we're not forcing you to 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 um to stay here. But I remember like being like so resolved to like I want to stay, but I don't want to leave. Like <laughs> like this like weird tension of like um not knowing like wanting two different things, but knowing I can't have both. And so um, my dorm parents at that time, they only stayed for one year. Um, they were really new at it. Um, they didn't know, I don't think they knew what to do with me. They were really awkward. And then it, I'm like in the living room crying and there's other dorm sisters like who aren't crying or, and Sarah got dropped off. <laughs> she wasn't crying. Oh, like, oh just, just to be clear. So your, your roommate freshman year was a real jerk. I've heard yeah, that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> No, I love Sarah, but yeah, yeah like okay, we were so just- <laughs> uh, nobody. So Sarah is my younger sister. Yeah, uh, your yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah is my younger sister. Yeah, and of course she's so, fantastic. She's awesome, and yeah, she was she was like chill, and everyone everyone else was chill. And I remember feeling very vulnerable at that time too. Like, why am I the only one having this reaction? And there were like three other freshman girls, and none of them were having that kind of reaction. And so I felt very like vulnerable at the same time and very like embarrassed that I couldn't control my emotions too. Um, so <laughs> in the end, like my parents, I think they just stayed a little bit longer um, just to help me settle. And then no, and then they, you know, dropped me off and I, I felt better and I was able to stabilize my emotions. The dorm parents never talked about it. Um, they never mentioned it to me. Um, and I was like crying for a good couple of hours, I think. And then um, in like retrospect to him, like, no one ever reached out. No, I didn't have a counselor say, hey, are you doing okay? It was just like, right. as if it never happened. Like, right. And I realized it was a really traumatizing time of being kind of taken away or like having to step into this new transition. Like maybe I was a little too young for it or a little too early, but um, it was not great. And it was like really seared in my brain. And I do think that that was the time when I was like made a resolve unconsciously to like pull myself up on my bootstraps. Like, I'm not gonna let this happen again. <laughs> to me like I'm not gonna cry in front of people like that was too embarrassing um and I want to control myself and so I think that was kind of like the time when I started to resolve that like that was really hard and also embarrassing and I don't want that to happen again so that bootstrap analogy kind of kicked in for me um and and what's the trade-off with that because being in absolute control of your emotions Mm -hmm. you need to be able to do that however Yeah. And I'm sure you use that all the time at work, yeah. you know, like just you shut it off. <laughs> yes. However, how's therapy going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, my, uh, my, my catchphrase uh, a few years back, I used to literally tell people to shut it down. I'll just yeah. be like, shut it down. Like, we're not going to go there. Shut it down. We're not going to do this. Um, because I didn't want to, that was my repression skills coming up. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and then, I remember um, when I started the, the therapy journey and working with this program at Talbot, um, I, I like they were working on our defense mechanisms <laughs> and mm-hmm. I felt the Lord like really dissolving those defense mechanisms. Um, and I started to experience like all of those repressed 
things, especially anxiety. Um, that was a big mm-hmm. thing that I would repress a lot because that's something I struggled with, but I didn't know that I struggled with. Um, really coming out to the surface and percolating very up to the surface of my heart um, to the point where I would be at 30, like 30 years old, 32 years old, like it, lying in a fetal position, I'm in bedroom, like just crying because yeah. I was like, what is this emotion that I'm experiencing that for so many years I was like repressing or like really trying to shove really down deep within my my heart, my heart and my soul. Um, so yeah, it was um, so I feel everything now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I like tear up at everything. Um, and before I would probably see it as a weakness, but now I see it as a gift. But I think in it helped me survive, I think, my my earlier years. So but it's like mm-hmm. breathing, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to let it in and you've got to let it out. Totally. And I I learned to hold my breath for a long time. Mm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that and that works until you have a nervous breakdown. Yes. You know? <laughs> until you can't do it anymore yeah Mm -hmm. you need oxygen yeah you do yeah Yeah. so that i the reason the reason i was thinking about my first day in the dorm uh Mm. today my my oldest uh we went to my oldest uh kid um Mm -hmm. is going into high school next year and so it was the parent you know training night or whatever or their presentation and yeah. And we're going through all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, this is super complicated. And then I was driving <laughs> home and I realized my parents just dropped me off at the dorm. Yes. And it was like, <laughs> literally, good luck, you know? <laughs> and when you said it was trauma, yeah, like you're, you're just like, like, it's like a shark attack, you know? Mm-hmm. And you figure it out. And I do think that if you're able to get through that and, mm-hmm you know, you do learn a lot of resiliency skills and just figuring it out stuff. And then college in the U S is a totally other thing where, you know, you just show up with two suitcases and here I am in college (laughs) and you, you learn a lot from that. However, Mm -hmm. um, I'm still trying to unpack, uh, what that experience did. How was that transition Sophia in college when you Mm -hmm. moved back to Maryland? Yeah. Um, so I, Ended up, yeah, I went back to Maryland where um, my, our home church was. We have a lot of relatives there. So I was going back to a place of familiarity. It wasn't like a totally new space. And, um, I, you know, I wasn't going away to college in a sense. Like Maryland kind of felt like home to me too. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely still like a bit of a culture shock going back and trying to reassimilate, I guess, back to the American culture. Um I remember like one of my weird thoughts I had when I was graduating high school and coming back to the States. I was, I remember thinking like, I'm never going to find someone as weird and quirky as me, you know, cause you know, I don't know. MKs have this thing about being weird and quirky and being unique and different. And, um, you know, you know, feeling very like high and mighty that I had this international experience. Um, so <laughs> when I went to, when I got back to the States, like, I think that, that kind of, was an obstacle for me to like make some friends, but it eventually did work out. And then I remember realizing, oh, there are some weird and quirky people here and it's fine. Um, but I didn't have a typical college experience because I um, didn't live in the dorms. And I actually lived with my grandmother, who was my my dad's mom. And um, that in itself was a really big transition and actually caused um, some more tra- trauma or traumatic relationship with her. She wasn't a very... Um, uh, how would you say it? Um, 
nurturing grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. And I think my parents and I talk about now hindsight, they're like, man, if we had known like the, the effects of that, like we would not have dropped you off there. Um, but we did like, you know, and it was such a pragmatic uh, choice because she, you know, free board and she lived right near the school I was going to, and we didn't have to pay for rent and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I think more than anything, me having to live with her was, was probably the hardest part, um, which again, there was um, a lot of work that was done in that space as well. Um, and having to do that without my parents and having my parents across the world um, from me. Yeah. Yeah. Are your parents back now? Yeah, so they kind of are semi-retired and they actually live in Orange County. We all live together now, um, which is kind of funny because, you know, for almost 15, over 15 years, we didn't live together. And then um, now we're living together and I'm probably the only like 36 year old who's like, I want to live with my parents. And I think it's just that uh, I get to be a daughter again, um, which is really mm. nice. And so there's a, a bit of redemption in the story and we are able to enjoy family time now. Um, but we never, we never thought this would be kind of where we're at, but yeah, they're back. Um, they're still doing missions, but they're not uh, in the Philippines right now. What does that, what does that mean? I get to be a daughter again. Yeah. I think like just being taken care of, I think I realized like I was since freshman year of high school and um, being in the dorms, I think that was when I had to become independent and learn how to take care of myself and um, onward into college um, having to, you know, just be, be the independent one. And I also had a younger brother who, once he graduated and came over, like I was kind of responsible for him as well. And so, um, you know, it's like so silly, but like, even just like my dad taking the trash out or putting gas in my car, just these little things where I'm like, that is so nice. Like just to have (laughs) my mom cook meals for me, which when I had to live alone, like, yeah, I learned how to cook and feed myself, but it's just so nice that yeah. I get to have that kind of daughter child like experience now. Um, cause for, for a long time, I didn't get that. Um, so that's what, it, yeah, I, I just feel like it's those simple little pleasures that I, t- that I probably took for granted, or maybe other people may take for granted when you're living with your parents, um, who, you know, they just want to love on you and care for you. So I think that's what that means to me. Yeah. I totally get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. you've mentioned a couple times that um, you, you uh, I, I, I feel like I'm catching this where you said mm. that the Lord was uh, you know dissolving certain barriers internally, mm-hmm. and I guess mm-hmm. I'm just wondering about about your faith. Like you yeah. know, you were part of this like crazy experience of yeah. <laughs> taking you know taking Jesus to the world and yeah. giving everything that you have up, and then and then kind of reconstructing your life. And you've mm-hmm. gone full circle now. You're back with your parents again after mm-hmm. however many years of, yeah. <laughs> of, of doing all of this. What, yeah. Where are you at and, and what does it all mean? Mm. Yeah. So where am I Where am I at in my faith? Is that what you're asking? Uh, yeah, faith or uh-huh. perspective or I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't really have a specific question. I just, I mm-hmm. guess I'm wondering, you know, what does it all mean now? Or, mm-hmm. um, mm. Yeah. You know, I think like when I was younger, especially, um, you know, when you're a kid, you just follow whatever your parents do. There's no like, you don't have any thoughts or any conscious of what was going on. And then even in like Faith Academy too, like that, that age and even up to college, like it was a lot of it. I, I followed what my parents did. I, I followed the church. I, I was, um, 
recruited at a really young age to start serving. And I remember being like, you don't know me guys. Like, why are you asking me to serve? But I was like, it's because I'm the MK or the pastor's kid. Um, and doing all that and getting incredibly burnt out while I was working um, as a nurse practitioner and um, having a crisis of faith as well of like, what was the purpose of all this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why am I, I shouldn't feel this tired and this burnt out and this angry um, uh, at serving or trying to minister with, to other people or to serving and trying to take care of my patients. I was really angry and, and burnt out, um, particularly in 2016. Um, it was a lot. And so, you know, making that transition from Maryland to, to California, um, I slowed down um, and I um, started going to this program, got some healing and um, found a little bit more of like myself in the process. Um, And then uh, the pandemic hit (laughs) and that was not really fun, um, obviously for many people, but I think as a healthcare provider, it was um, a very draining experience. Um, And through that too, I I experienced um, some crisis of faith and deconstruction that happened um, with the church. Uh, with my beliefs, uh, what was all that for, um, and the church in general, too, of like, you know, as, as things are going on with politically and with Black Lives Matter and the the pandemic, that was just a lot of different things that was going on that the church that I was currently attending was not, hmm, let's say, responding the way that I thought that a Christian should respond. And so, um, yeah, for about a year and a half, I, I was uh, really struggling um, with where I was and with my faith and even um, with how I was not with like, um, I would say not with like my, um, my faith as a Christian, but just the the institution of what we were all doing. Um, so, so yeah. So I think coming out from it now um, right now, I'm like slowly kind of going back into church and slowly finding a place of safety in the church but there was a lot of questioning that was going on during that time as well. Um, sorry, I just went on a tangent there, but no, no, yeah, no. sorry. Yeah, no, it's, well, what perfect. Do you, it's perfect. I want to ask you like, you know, cause, cause we don't, we don't get into politics and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. what do you, I mean, I say that, but we do, uh, but what's important is what about your unique perspective mm-hmm. um, as you were going through the pandemic and all mm-hmm. of the things that we've experienced the last several years here in the mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. What, what what do you think was unique about your perspective that that I don't know influenced your thinking or made it different for you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I was so struck by during the pandemic was. First of all, there was like this kind of like a, a, a huge fear that happened. And then people kind of got excited about being in lockdown. And then and then there was a lot of despair um, in the isolation um, that occurred. And I remember going through that myself, the ups and downs and the, and the feeling of feeling really sad and depressed. And then seeing um, and ha- hearing my friends who were working in the medical field of people dying and people struggling. Um, during the pandemic. Um, so there's a lot of hopelessness, especially as the pandemic kept waning on. I also started, so I work at, with college age students, I work at Biola. And so one of the things I saw a lot too was the, the toll of the mental health um, that it took on the mental health of, of students and of young people. Well, really everybody, but young people as well. Um, and I remember feeling such a sense of urgency of like, oh my gosh, like 
this just exacerbated the the mental health crisis um, and what's going on in our world, um, just mentally and emotionally, um, which actually spurred me to go back into school to get psych and mental health yeah. training um, for for student care. Um, well, it sounds like you were feeling it too. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I, I, I realized I, I was wasn't, feeling I was it. fine. I, I was fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was unique to you, actually, the, the <laughs> mental health stuff. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry I cut you off you said you were feeling it yeah yeah it was just it felt endless yeah, yeah. very endless and very hopeless um because it was constant um mm-hmm. and being someone with so I didn't work in the hospital but we were managing the entire college and uh the surrounding communities with quarantining contact tracing isolating yeah. um all that stuff so it was it was a lot to to manage all that um and managing people's stories and and their their lives really during that time, so yeah. yeah. I want to go are back. You in a, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Q. Are you in a good place now? Yeah, I would definitely say I am now. Um, so I I just I, I kind of mentioned I just finished this psych and mental health certification program, and which was like the final piece of the puzzle, I think, of of everything that I wanted to do. Um, so it was like a year of really intense clinical training. And um, now I can, I can say I, I can care for the body, mind and soul. Um, and so I, I have a new role at the school where I'm doing mental health um, and taking care of students needs in that space. And it's been really fun um, to take that role. And I've been really enjoying that and being able to hold people's stories in those spaces mm-hmm. um, and creating safe spaces for people. Um, and so I've been enjoying my work a lot, which I think kind of overflows into just life in general. I've never been able to say like, I love going to work right now. Um, Cause you know, a work is, job is a job, but right now I, I do feel like I'm in a good place and all of that kind of accumulated I mean, into this. A minute ago, you talked about how absolutely traumatic being dropped off at the dorm was. Mm-hmm. And now here you are mm-hmm. working with students. Yes. Yes, Totally. <laughs> yeah going yeah, back think... to oh go ahead I'm sorry oh no go for it I want to go back to Samar yeah. so the image we left was kind of bleak yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm wondering at that age you know it, uh, what were those bright spots or when was there a moment where you're like oh actually living overseas is kind of cool yeah sure um, I had a pet monkey growing up oh. um, so that was really cool that seems yeah. like an uh, like a yeah. uniting arch yeah. of some sort, having a pet <laughs> yeah. monkey. Yeah. yeah, it was like <laughs> such a missionary kid experience, you know, yeah. like um, we used to have this guy that would just come to our house randomly and like have animals that he would sell us because I think he just would buy them. And <laughs> um, and I love animals. And so he would one time he came with like a flock of ducks, um, like mm. like ducks wrapped up. And so we had a, we had and they were like laying eggs. And so we had like a flock, like a herd of ducks um lizards and then one day he came and sold us a macaque monkey for like 500 pesos or something crazy it was like really cheap (laughs) and I was like sure like let's buy it so um yeah so having a pet monkey um that was super fun and yeah um, was that like 10 bucks or something yeah something like that It was crazy like he just asked for like 500 pesos so that was like Mm -hmm. like, wow um I would have paid for more but yeah um so like how about about dorm um dorm yeah yeah 
I yeah, love we, the we, norm life. Yeah. Early, uh, earlier, we said there's a big difference between um, uh, the boys dorm, and the girls. Yeah. Dorm, yeah. And like, so tell us about that. Okay. I don't know what the bo- the boys dorm was like, but stinky. Like, but yeah, <laughs> the girls dorm was a lot of fun. Um, I felt like freshman year, there was like a lot of senior girls who kind of like mama tend us. And so that felt mm. very safe and nice. Um, they were very like comforting and nurturing and um, just was like calling us their little chicks and stuff. Um, and they felt so much older, you know, but now I'm like, oh, they're only like 18 years old um, at that age. But And then we, you know, at each, I felt like each year got sweeter. You know, we just bonded with each other. Um, We held a lot of pranks. We did a lot of different pranks, um, particularly my junior. We got in trouble a lot. Um, We staged a fight in front of our dorm sitters one night. So we had to apologize (laughs) for that. Um, One time our entire dorm, like uh, we snuck out at night and uh, we lived on campus and we climbed the, the roof of the library and then we, like hung out there and then fell asleep and got caught by the security guard and so we got grounded for that um we did all that's an of- awesome experience though <laughs> yeah 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 i mean what a what a great night just falling asleep <laughs> yeah. with like the the nice like cool air at night yeah. sometimes i mean it'd be so hot and that must yeah. have been a really nice sleep it was nice. Yeah. And we grabbed, we, we took our blankets and, and then we like snuck back in. And I remember the actors that worked for us came really early and they're like, what are you girls doing? Because <laughs> we just like snuck into the back. Um, and then we were like, maybe he won't, maybe the security guard won't tell our door. But of course he did. And oh, of course. we got in yeah. trouble. But <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, so a lot of good memories, um, a lot of like sisterhood and camaraderie um, and just. Yeah, what, what's the worst thing that Sarah ever did? <laughs> I don't I don't think she had a worse thing she and I had really we matched really well so um I think we were always like if we had an annoying roommate or maybe or we would just be like oh my gosh or she would I just have one memory I do have is she would um, always stand up for me so like one time I was taking a nap and then one of someone came in really loudly into our room and she was like Sophia sleeping quiet you know and so she was always the one that was like taking care of me or you know just kind of looking out for me I feel like so we looked out for each other but she was a great roommate super chill Mm -hmm. I don't think any problems with her (laughs) yeah and tell us a little bit just about your your, uh, because we do have a lot of Faith Academy alumni uh, Mm -hmm. there and you were uh like you graduated about five years after me Mm -hmm. um what was what was that experience like at, at Faith Academy the good and the bad yeah um I feel like it took me a while to get used to like the Faith Academy high school group, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I felt insulated in my dorm bubble. Um, so like if I didn't fit in there, at least I had my dorm like sisters. So I was really close to my dorm sisters. Um, I felt like I still, you know, had a little bit of a hard time fitting in with the rest of the class. And I always joke that I felt like the most comfortable or coming out of my shell third quarter of senior year, like right when everything's about to end, I was yeah. like, Ooh, I'm, I'm making friends and I'm getting comfortable. And then like, a, you know, a quarter later, it's going to all end. Um, but yeah, we were, I think like a, a smaller class. Um, but some of the people that were there, I remember I went to same, we were in the same fourth grade class. So there was a little bit of familiarity there as well. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a sweet time when I think about it. And I actually even pulled up some of the old Tawalans to just see like, you know, what was going on or any emotions that looking at the O'Toole mm-hmm. and evoking was just kind of like a sense of um, camaraderie and a nostalgic feeling of like, wow, you know, the the young, hopeful dreams 
<laughs> we're all kind of in that space of how we were so hopeful for the future and, you know, the the class spirit that was there as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think, it, you know, I had really good high school experience. Um, so you, you did yeah. a lot of uh, pulling out the old, uh, it's a tub in, tub in my basement, kind of going yeah. through that stuff. I'm yeah. sure you thought about then and now, you know, mm-hmm. you, you just mentioned, uh, you know, stars in your eyes, you're dreaming about the future and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then we're, we're at where we're at now in life and you mm-hmm. like looking back, what thoughts are popping up for you? Mm-hmm. No, I am grateful. I think there's a sense of gratitude. Um, it wasn't perfect. Um, and obviously like, you know, I wished if I, you know, I wished I could not have to be away from my parents, but, you know, I think it was the best situation in the, in that moment and what we had. So there's a lot of sense of gratitude. Um, I think there's a sense of like, almost a privilege of like, oh, I got to experience that with a bunch of people um, that we were all kind of in the same boat. We were all kind of within the same, you know, we have similar experiences and I'm probably not going to get that again. And I have not gotten that again since Mm then. Um, And it makes me think about too, like when we were that horrific time when we had to say goodbye, like after our grad night and how really terrible that was. (laughs) of that sensation of like this is it um because I I knew that I was losing or saying goodbye to something that was super special and probably not going to happen again um you know in my lifetime so that night comes up a lot yeah Um, yeah I don't I don't know where your senior party was Uh um ours was at the top of Robinson's Galleria oh my goodness (laughs) yeah and then we had the whole top floor and nice. all night people would get in the elevator and it would close uh-huh. and then you just never see him again, you know? Oh my, but, oh wow. That's... Yeah. What was, what was your, what was your grad? We were at like? someone's, um, we we're at someone's house. Uh, I think they were a little bit well-to-do family and they had like a pool house that they let us hang out in all night. Um, so it was like a wait, garden. Wait, 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 hold up. Yeah. You think, you think they were well-to-do and you were hanging out in their pool house. <laughs> okay, oh, okay. They were well-to-do. <laughs> Okay, let's yeah, let's put the Let me pieces rephrase together that. They here. Were, okay. They were well to do. And so we didn't even go into the main house, I don't think. It was just like the pool house outside of their yard or something like that. So but we yeah. just spent I just remember spending all night like talking and signing yearbooks. We were just like signing yearbooks mm-hmm. and just chilling and and then daylight came and then parents were coming to pick up the kids and so I forgot one person just started crying and then everyone just started. Yeah. It wasn't, and my dad, he mentioned, he said, when I came to pick you up, I thought I was at a funeral because he was like, what is going on right now? Because we were all just sobbing um, and crying because we knew this was going to be the end of something special. You mentioned your freshman year crying mm-hmm. <clears throat> when your parents dropped you off. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> now I'm crying because my parents was taking me back. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. thinking about that now mm-hmm. and um, all of those layers that you built, right? Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> we, we all did that just, just to get through stuff. You kind of built sure. a spacesuit, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, where are you at now? Who's what, what, who, what's the person you've become? Mm. I think I'm someone now that um appreciates and gives voice to the tender side now more than anything. Um, I always felt like inside of me that there was a lion and a lamb. And during my younger years, I would give more voice to the lion because it felt stronger and it felt mm. um, 
safer and the lion got more things done without being sensitive or tender. Um, and there was no voice for the, the lamb, I think, inside of me, because actually I'm, I'm a pr pretty sensitive and tender person. But I think because of my circumstances, I was like, that is not helpful in life. So you need to be quiet and let the lion do his thing. Um, but now I feel like I'm the kind of person that can balance out both. And I've given a lot more voice to the tender lamby side of me and um, that I allow myself to to cry, to be tender, to feel things. I used to never cry with my patients. And now I tear up at every story. And before I, I would have thought that was like so inappropriate. But now I'm like, oh, no, it's OK to show emotions. And emotions is not a bad thing or um like a weakness in the armor, but it's actually something that's that's good. Um, so yeah, I just feel a lot more complete in that sense. Um, but that there is voice given to both both spaces or both sides of me. It it you know for for me um because I you know I work in human services and mm. I, I get to help folks and mm. I think for my early experiences in ministry, it was like, okay, we're, we're the ministers and these are the yeah. ministries and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, now I see myself as an ally with everyone mm -hmm. that we're working with. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together because we're all sure. human. Yeah. And you know, these boundaries, these professional boundaries that we create are important, Yeah. yeah. but they can also be used as a way of um, reinforcing status, you know, mm. and that's the part of the uh, the field that I'm in that I am constantly trying to dismantle in my mind because, mm. um, you know, I uh, th that's not the person I want to be. You know, we're mm -hmm. in this together. We're both yeah. human, and I'm here to help exactly. you in this moment. And yeah. there's a difference. Yeah, totally dismantling that power mentality too. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's, what's next for you? Where, where, where does this all go? Yeah. You know, I'm just, um, excited to see what there is for the future. I'm holding things very loosely. Um, and I'm learning more and more that there's a lot of joy in the mystery of the unknown. And so, um, I couldn't have planned that I'll be out in California doing what I'm doing now and doing like experiencing all I've experienced now. So I'm just kind of holding things loosely I hope to continue to work with people and create safe spaces for them and and uh, create spaces for people to feel vulnerable and feel safe in the vulnerability more than anything. Um, and I hope to just be able to be the authentic me as I continue forward as well. Yeah. Well, the name of the show is Life Unwasted. And I yeah. think you kind of hit the nail on the head, which uh -huh. is just continuing to explore all of those parts of yourself that, yeah. that you couldn't pull out before. Right. Because right. you had to survive. You had to make mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And you push all that stuff down. But to experience and treasure all the full range of emotions, yeah. um, you got to do that self-work. So this has been amazing. Unfortunately, Cuban had to step away. Um, oh, okay. No problem. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we all have families and stuff. And so yes. he, he mentioned, messaged me. He's like, oh, I got to, I got to do the family stuff. So uh -huh. I need, I need some help. At the end of the show, we go one, two, three vanguards and okay. i'm gonna play the outro music here okay. and i'm gonna i'm gonna say one two three and we gotta yell vanguards at the same okay. time okay all right <laughs> here we go mariah carey <laughs> one two three vanguards go vanguards go yeah. vanguards <laughs> <laughs>